1: He joins us right now. Good morning, Alex. Hey, Dale. How's it going? Doing great, thanks. Dan is here as well. Hello, Dan. Hello, Alex. Alex, let's start with uh, the whole idea of the 40-man roster. The Red Sox send four players to Pittsburgh, take two in return, but they were really trying to free up some roster spots, weren't they?
2: They, were, they needed to free up some roster spots because they, have, they had Stephen Drew waiting to be signed officially, uh, and then they also still have to address first base, whether that's with Mike Napoli or with someone else. So they needed two 40-man roster spots. They netted one in this deal, while at the same time basically taking four parts, although three on the 40-man roster, and kind of consolidate them into, uh, into two pieces, That uh, one of whom will be more valuable for 2013 than anything that they gave up, um, another of whom kind of fits. The shape of the roster in the organization a little bit better uh, than any of the other guys that they're moving. So, you know, Mark Mullanson may end up being very good when he's back in the NL Central. Stormy Pimentel, a bit of a wild card. He's had times when he looked like a very good prospect, other times when he looked like a non prospect, uh, but he's interesting. Uh, but a hard guy for the Sox to carry on the 40 man roster. Jerry Sands, another interesting guy, uh, hasn't had success at the major league level. He's had big power numbers at AAA. Um, but, again, he's in his last roster year, and he was kind of behind a couple of other guys like Cody – like not, uh, sorry, not Cody Ross, obviously, but, uh, for instance, like Johnny Gomes and like Perth, Mike Napoli on the depth chart. So he was expendable. And uh, Mark Melanson is out of options, and he was plotting to be one of the last bullpen options so they took these pieces, and Iván de Jesús is an afterthought, by the way, um, and they turned them into Joel Hanrahan. When he's on, is one of the best closers in the game, even though he doesn't quite have the same notoriety by virtue of the small market in which he's been pitching, but. You know, Red Sox fans do have that impression, as do Red Sox players, of that incredibly overpowering inning that he delivered a couple years ago in Pittsburgh against the Red Sox at a time when they were that 2011 uh, mid-season juggernaut, not end-of-season juggernaut. Um, and another guy in Brock Holt who's a very useful uh, kind of up-the-middle, backup type guy who can play either second base or shortstop and hit left-handed, um, which they needed because they have a Pedro Ciriaco, So. Uh, their utility depth was right-handed. They wanted a left-handed utility depth guy.
0: Alex, the real real special part of this deal, though, is too is that, you know, the guys that you just named, I'm not sure how much they really gave up for me, maybe nothing, and on top of that, the salary here. We're talking about a closer, like I heard Dale say, the last two years, we're talking 70-plus saves here for only $4.5 million. So we're talking really a little money ball here and getting a value in your return. Is that fair?
2: Somewhat. Uh, Hanrahan is going to see a considerable increase in his salary this year because he's arbitration eligible for the last time before reaching free agency. So figure that he'll probably make about $7 bucks for the coming season, which that's kind of a luxury item for a team like the Pirates who have a payroll that's probably around 80 or $90 million. But the Red Sox are a team that in the past has been able to afford, you know, $13 million roughly for one year of Jonathan Papelbon. So uh, if you're able to get anything – Approximating Jonathan Papelbon type talent, and really for the past couple of years, Hanrahan does belong in in a conversation about the best. Let's say handful, top five, top ten closes in the game. Uh, then for the Red Sox, it's a very financially reasonable, uh, reasonable undertaking. Um, so not cheap, um, and there is a chance that the guys whom the Red Sox are trading end up being good for the Pirates. No one would be surprised if Mark Melanchthon goes back to the NL Central and emerges as the Pirates closer two, three, four years, uh, and is very good in that division. But, you know, he didn't have success in the AL East. There were questions about his makeup for the AL East. Uh, and, uh, and, again, an out of options, guy who was behind a number of other people in the bullpen, he, he probably he might have been uh, for the Red Sox roster in 2013. So the Red Sox dealt before they were in a position where they had to make a hard decision about potentially exposing him to, to waivers or trying to bring for
1: him. We're talking to Alex Speer from WEEI.com about the trade the Red Sox made yesterday. I, I understand that in the real world there's no such thing, but doesn't it almost seem like the Red Sox at this moment have too many bullpen arms?
2: They're pretty loaded in terms of their, in terms of their bullpen options, and that extends even beyond what we know in the, in the big league level because, look, a guy like Daniel Bard, who not too long ago was as good a setup up man as there was in the game, Right now, uh, there's a very decent chance that he can end up back in AAA to start the season. They have another guy who they really like uh, in Alex Wilson, who's, uh, who's probably going to begin the year in AAA for the second straight year, even though he's major league ready. And he's a guy he's, who kind of made Melanson expendable because he has that power laid in and he's just a depth option for them. So, yeah, he was a lot of really interesting guys. When you talk about, you know, a bullpen that lines up with Hanrahan and Andrew Bailey and Koji Uehara and uh, Andrew Miller and Franklin Morales and, you know, Craig Breslow, and the list kind of goes on. Though, we should be mindful, of course, of the fact that Bailey has an injury history, that Koji Uehara uh, is kind of an older pitcher and has his own injury history. So it makes a, a heck of a lot of sense for them to line up a ton of depth options so they can withstand the times when some of their bullpen arms are injured.
0: Alex, uh, there's a different opinion of what the Red Sox have done in the offseason here, okay? Some people think they've done an outstanding job. Some people think they've done really just marginal work here. In your opinion, when you're looking at this as we get ready for spring training here, baseball team contends for the AL East, or do we still in that – work mode where we're looking to see the next couple of years of what some prospects are going to do, what guys are going to do off the bench. I mean, what are we looking at here when we're looking at the ALEs coming up this year?
2: If the Red Sox have bounce backs from their star players, if you're talking about the guys like the – if you talk about – if you imagine a Red Sox team that has a strong season from John Lester, from Clay Buchholz, from Dustin Pedroia. Uh, and perhaps from Jacoby Ellsbury and from David Ortiz. Uh, It's asking quite a bit to line up all those chips, but it's not unreasonable because in the not-too-distant past, we would have assumed that all of them would have had very good seasons. Then they're contenders in the American League East. Uh, They have a really talented core that looked like about as good a core as there was in all of Major League Baseball uh, as, as early as August 2011. They all underperformed in 2012, uh, which makes it a little bit more difficult to project what they're going to be going forward. If they are what they were before September 2011, uh, those, those core players, then it, they've they've built this really nice scaffolding with a number of players who are somewhere between average to above average. In the case of Hanrahan, he's a bit higher than that uh, relative to his position. In the case of Stephen Drew, he has the potential to be higher than that relative to his position. Uh, so they would have, Top to bottom, a really a pretty solid team. That said, we can't take for granted the idea of a bounce back of any of those guys that I'm talking about. Whether it's health questions related to David Ortiz, or whether it's performance issues related to uh, to the Lester's or the Buchholz's, uh More so, and I still think Lester's track record uh, overwhelms what what 2000 the down season of 2012. So yeah, they have a really really talented nucleus that should be able to compete with any team just about on paper in the AL East, including the blue Jays. That said, it's a division that has a lot of really competitive teams. So um, I, I think that they position themselves well, Ultimately, end up being, you know, we, we just don't know and we won't know. And that's the beauty of baseball. No one predicted them to be a 69 win team last year.
1: Final question before we let you go. Is it your best guess right now that Mike Napoli is the first baseman here, or do you think there's traction to the Adam LaRoche reports?
2: I still think that it's, so difficult for them to part with that pick for Adam LaRoche that, uh, that I would think that, uh, that I still, by default, you know, as far as they prioritize Napoli uh, so highly, and he has to figure out a way to make it work with the Red Sox, I still think it ends up being Mike Napoli. I'm not sure uh, on precisely what terms, specifically what duration, whether or not they build in kind of uh, vesting options or not. But, Um, You know, that's that's my gut feeling. But uh, there's been a pretty tight lid kept on all things related to Napoli by all parties related to uh, by all parties involved in that negotiation. So at this point, it's honestly guess that I still think that Napoli ends up being the
1: guy. Alex, we always appreciate the time. Thank you.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?